When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To be a minority, you have a superpower. And that superpower comes from being able to live in the mainstream world where you can adapt, assimilate, code switch, whichever other term you want to use. And then you also live in your own cultural world where you succeed, you have family, you have connections, you hopefully thrive. And that gives you the ability that makes you just a better leader. My name is Matt Story. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Roman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Matt Story, marketer, investor, and podcast host. Matt recently launched the What's Your Story podcast, which is a phenomenal show of conversations with some really exceptional people. I highly recommend you check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. And if after this episode, you want to hear our continuing conversation with Matt, where Sharon and I get a little deeper on our stories, head over to his podcast, What's Your Story, which you can find wherever you get your podcast, or just check out mattestory.com. But I've known him almost my entire career, came up with him in corporate America, and then he moved out to the West Coast, and now we trade emails once a year. I loved him. I loved him. And I like I, I really liked having him here. I've got so many, like you said, California, and I thought... One of the things he shares with us at the end is that he doesn't eat avocados. So spoiler alert. And just everything about Matt is kind of unexpected in that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, when I asked him to be on the show, or we need to talk about it at some point on the air, like the name of our show is meant to be provocative. And he's like, I like what you're doing. I've listened to a couple episodes, but why are you? And we've had people email us about this. You know, model minorities is a very divisive term. You know, if you've listened to the episode with Ryan Joe, the reporter at the very end of the episode, he digs into us on it a little bit. And, you know, and Sharon and I debate it. Like, you know, it's kind of a fun term to play with and we're trying to turn it on its head, but he wanted to unpack it. And I was like, let's do it because I don't want to agree with our guests on stuff. I, I don't need to, I guess is what I'd say. And I'm not saying, I think he is slowly winning the argument in my mind, Sharon. <laughs> like maybe a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. I'm still, you know, I'm such a stickler for like, no, we started off with this the name. Brand, we've, got right, to, the we've got to die with this name. But yeah, it was it was good to have him unpack it because we we got to talk about model minorities as a term. And then we started talking about other derogatory terms like the N-word and the F-word. And to have his perspective on the difference between using model minorities versus using other derogatory terms and why certain terms are beneficial to some groups, it was it was just interesting to hear about 
how we're using it and our intentions behind using it are obviously positive, but certainly interesting to get another perspective on on why people could look at this and just kind of be like, ugh, model minority is all about. Yeah, perception you know, is reality. What are they yeah. trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I also just love that Barack Obama follows him on Twitter. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Done. You, you don't have to listen to the episode now. No, nope, exactly. You spoiled everything. I do. I, I'm sorry. And we also know <laughs> that if Michelle followed Sharon, Michelle would quickly unfollow Sharon because Sharon would fangirl her too much. I fangirl everybody. There are so many times, like, I'm trying to think, like, you know, living in New York, you run into lots of, like, I've run into lots of B and C list actors. Here's another bus story. I was on the bus once, probably like middle school ish middle school high school and the guy i don't remember his character but he was a character in ghost and he played like he was one of the criminals in ghost so not you know not the star of the show but i saw him on the bus and i whispered to my friends i'm like hey that guy's the guy in ghost and we like went up to him and we're like did you play so-and-so on, on the movie Ghost? And he was like, yeah. We're like, where are you going? You know? And I was kind of like, why are you riding the bus? Aren't you supposed to be famous? And he was like, I'm going to an audition. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, the love-hate thing about New York is they're just people, right? They're not, I mean, they might have a nicer apartment than you, but they're just people. And I actually get more frustrated. Like they do so much filming on the streets of New York. And if I'm like trying to get from, I don't know, park in 29th to 33rd and 6th and I've got my fastest way there and they've shut the whole block down or I have to cross the street because they're filming I get mad I'm like who do you think you are I'm trying yeah. to go somewhere yeah yeah I always like trying to figure out what it is that I'm watching because like I've walked by some pretty awesome scenes being filmed and then to see that later and be like wait I was right there like I was downtown once when they were filming some scenes for Spider-Man and like, I didn't know exactly what movie it was until the scenes came out. And I was like, wait a second, that was Tobey Maguire. And he was, you know, climbing the building or whatever it was. So always fun in New York City. Well, Matt wrote a sitcom pilot. We'll find a spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> we've, ruined, we've, we've totally ruined the whole episode. We're like, yeah, don't even listen. We're just going to talk no. about. Matt is really freaking smart and really freaking thoughtful. And I think you're going to enjoy the conversation with my pal, Matt. Matt, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Matt, you're kind of, I don't know if you're famous, maybe you're infamous. You've got a cool corporate job. You've got a podcast. You've been around, but I don't know if people know who you were before all that. Can you tell us a story from, from your childhood, from growing up? Yeah. So I think I'll start in third grade. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about before third grade, then I'll jump into third grade. So I'm originally from Detroit. Grew up in a primarily single parent household. And after my second grade year, my mom had the opportunity to move us to Indiana. And those that may not be familiar, the demographics of Indiana as a state in, in its entirety are completely different than that of Detroit, Michigan. So in my third grade year, I basically went from a community that was surrounded by people that all looked like me as a you know young black male and other young black kids to a community that was complete opposite. I was I was the only black student in my third grade class. Interesting enough, I, I was one of four mats, but I was the only black kid. And so for me, that was almost it turned my adolescence or going into adolescence upside down. 
I distinctly remember second grade, there was one white kid in our class. His name was Jeremy. And for whatever reason, I still remember that to this day. And then I felt like I became Jeremy in third grade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> was Jeremy cool, at least? Yeah, he was. He was. I distinctly remember he he was pretty funny. He kind of went along with the class and, and whatnot. And so for me, it was it was interesting because I think before that moment, I, I didn't realize what his perception was. But I very quickly became up to speed with what, what he probably felt like growing up in, in Detroit when I, when I made my way to southwestern Indiana. Huh. What did you want to be when you grew up? So as a kid, I would say I probably had the aspirational, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor. But once I actually realized what went into those professions, I quickly transitioned into, I want to do things with computers. And the reason was- When did that happen? How big of a gap was that? And yeah, how old were you? Yeah. I would say I was probably 12, 13, so middle school, middle school age. And the reason is I became more acquainted with what my mother did. So my mom was in, she worked in information technology. She managed data centers for hospitals. And so as any kid, you're, you're exposed to, hey, my mom's actually done pretty well for us. And she's been able to provide for us. And at the, again, at the time, I didn't realize, were we poor? Were we, were we middle class? Were we upper middle class? I didn't even understand that concept, but I felt like we had a pretty good life. And so why not just replicate what you see in your parents? So I thought a career in computers is where I wanted to go. And, and so I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that I wanted to do something and call it technology before we knew what technology was. I feel like that's what my dad said when he was, oh, you know, this computer thing, it's yeah. going to be big. Go yeah. do that. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like back then, I kind of always thought of it just being like people sitting in a big server room with like <laughs> lots of wires and stuff. And I was always like, I don't want to do so, that. That doesn't sound So what's funny, what's funny is it actually is. <laughs> so when, <laughs> when I was in high school, when I was in high school, my mom actually got me a part-time gig in her area. It wasn't necessarily the area she managed, but it was it was related to the the company. And so I was a high school kid going into these server rooms and spending eight hours basically watching screens, making sure printer paper was in the right place and re- records were tracked on these tapes. So my first experience with it was sitting in a in a server room. That, yeah, I mean, because that's kind of what it was. Yeah. yeah. Back then. Yeah. yeah. And today it's kind of like everything, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. So. I hear Barack Obama follows you on Twitter. I didn't know how to work that into the conversation, so I'm just going to say it. How yeah, did that it, happen? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, it was actually brought to my attention. I don't know that I even know when it happened. I mean, he follows hundreds of thousands of people, so it's not like I'm, I'm in a small group listing. But at some point in my developing a, of a Twitter profile, I somehow got added to his following. Now, the real question is, when am I actually going to use that to my benefit? Because... I'm really looking forward to a time where I can actually, whether it's DM or message him directly and see if I have an actual ask or request to pay that off. But until now, I'm just going to use it as kind of part of my bio that Barack follows me and and leave it at that. That's so freaking awesome. So do you retweet his stuff or like his stuff or interact with it in any way? Yeah, I, I mean, now you got to play cool. You got to play cool, Matt. No, play. not not any more than any other famous black president. <laughs> but I would say that I don't think I overly retweet or overly engage. It's probably something that's been there for years. One of my coworkers actually pointed it out to me probably about 18 months ago. And, and since then, it's become my go to for icebreakers. You're way too cool, man. I think if Michelle followed me, I would just be in her DM all the time. Like, hey, what are you doing? Like, oh, I really like this. And this is, what, this is why she would unfollow you exactly. immediately. Unfollow me. <laughs> all right, Matt. I kind of want to just get into it because we go back and 
we'd trade emails every couple of years. <laughs> and then you were pretty cool when we started the podcast. You said some really nice things. And then I saw you launched one and I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. I want you on the show. And you said you came back and said some nice things. And then you were like, ah, but the name of the show. And this keeps coming up, by the way, not just with you and something Sharon and I kind of like are leaning into a little bit. But I, I don't know. You want to talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, what do you have? What, what, why don't you like the term model minorities, Matt? Why don't people? I think a lot of touch. <laughs> no, I wanted to know why Matt doesn't like the term. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't speak on behalf of people. I'll speak on behalf of Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with Sharon's. People name people name Matt. Yeah. There, you there you go. Honestly, I, I think this is something that is much bigger and, and broader than only my perspective. But I think going into it, my initial kind of, I had a reaction when I saw the title. And again, I think everything you guys are doing is is amazing. And the conversations you're having are things that we need to hear. So I, I don't, I want to, I don't want to have this take away from that. But oh, yeah, of course, when I saw the title, the thing that struck me is that the concept of a model minority implies that there's a non-model minority, or there's a, said another way, a bad minority. And historically, this country has viewed those of us, whether it be African-American, it'd be more in the Latinx community as the non-model minorities, if you were to yeah, go off stereotypes. Yeah. And so for me, the reaction to it is that, oh, that's shining a light on something that has cast my my cult, my community or, or, or my background as non-model. And, and so that was my initial reaction. Upon further exploring it, I think the thing that's interesting is the concept of model minority actually impacts all of us in a negative way because it actually glosses over a number of the injustices and things that are happening to every single minority. And I think specifically Asian American, and it almost makes it seem as if they don't experience or will not experience the same injustice. So those are kind of the two levels with which I struggle with the term. But again, I think it's something that we should talk about and we should figure out how to best reposition or reframe. That's a good answer. I think that it is something that we've debated a lot, especially because Raman doesn't want to f- admit that he's still a marketer, but he is. He calls himself a recovering <laughs> marketer, but none of us believe that. I, and I know you're, you and I are in the same boat, Matt. He's totally still a marketer. So from a brand perspective, to get really nerdy, I mean, that's we've put a stake in the ground of what we want to call ourselves. And therefore, we, we sort of have to define what that means from a brand perspective. And we totally understand the the negative connotation with it, but that's almost why we wanted to use that to kind of turn it on, on its head. And I almost, Remen, you would know this more than me because you're the leader of the spreadsheet. But I kind of want to say that we've actually interviewed more black and brown people on this show than we have Asian people. To be very clear, that's not the right answer, Sharon. Sorry. That's the, oh, I have black friends. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. But the evil marketing of it, it's a provocative term. And I don't know if I'm right in my thesis that having a provocative turn term um, turns it on its head. I think the thing, so the term, I don't know exactly the roots of it, but with some like cursory research back when Sharon and I were having the initial debate about the name of the show was, okay, 70s, 80s, Reagan era. These are the good ones. Those are the bad ones, right? And I don't think it came out right around the time of the repeal of the Asian Exclusion Act, which was after the civil rights movement. But absolutely, I think Sharon and I have been the beneficiary of the edge of that term. But I don't like it either. I genuinely don't like it, which is kind of why I wanted to put some ownership on it. Something we say, and we, we we seriously go back and forth on, should we change the name or should we just change the intro where we just call it out and not be as kind of PC fun? Because it's like, whether you're black or white even, or brown or gay or straight, I think if you're willing to have a conversation about this, we're all in the minority. That's actually what upsets me more. 
having white people who are willing to have this conversation or black people who are willing to have this conversation or gay people or straight people are willing to have this conversation, we're in the minority still. Because I think everyone retreats to, notwithstanding like the current moment we're living in, in mid-June of 2020, for the most part, there are a lot of reasons we're in the issues that we're in. But And again, never mind the things going on in the streets right now. But I think it's because people aren't willing to have a conversation. People aren't willing to, everyone wants to say, oh, we're all happy. I don't see race. Bullshit. I see race every day. And the way I try to explain to my daughter now that she's four and she's asking, I was like, well, everyone's different. And that changes the way you get treated. And that's not right, but it's a reality that exists in the world. And if you deny that that's been happening, that's the frog in boiling water. So I'm getting a little soapboxy, Matt, but I, (laughs) I just... I do have a problem with the term, which is why I call the show that. It's yeah, literally yeah. that because I want to change I did a piddly podcast with my mom and our friends listening to it. Maybe we're not going to, but I want to challenge you on something. And you are now speaking for all people named Matt in nice. California. <laughs> no, but talk to me about the N-word. I definitely am not going to say it. And you get to say it. My brother-in-law, who's black, gets to say it. Sharon's husband, who's black, gets to say it. And I, to be clear, I don't want to say it. I will say every other curse word before I say that word, as then the F word for gay people. Like, I won't say that one either. And then when I started to understand why black people said it, it was a similar sentiment. And I do not want to equivalent the Asian or the South Asian cause with that of black people necessarily. But why do you feel you guys get to say that term? And I yeah. agree with it, by the way, yeah. but I want you to explain it to me. There's a book. So let's talk about race that I don't know if you guys have, have read, but I think everyone should check it out because it, they have a chapter specifically on this that I think from everything I've seen, has put it into the most succinct, eloquent way of describing this back and forth about the N-word. And what's interesting is that we gloss over the origins of the N-word. We gloss over the 400 years or so that it's been used to oppress people and quickly jump to the ownership of who can say it and who can't say it. And I think that the thing that's lost there a little bit is this word, I guarantee, and I don't know if you guys have done this, but if you talk to any people on the show, people in your community, people in your your friend group, and ask them about the first time they were called the N-word, they will will distinctly remember. And they will distinctly have a story or many stories to reference. And I think the thing that is lost there is it is associated with so much oppression, so much systematic injustice, and it was used to describe a group of people in a way to demean and to make you feel less. And so this isn't a word that was just used as we don't have anything better to call you. This isn't this isn't colored and, and it can evolve. This was used intentionally to demean people and, and to oppress people. And so I think that that's the piece that you kind of have to start with and realize that no matter what happens until we get to a place where, where this country or this globe, where that oppression is in the rearview mirror and it's no longer happening, then we can talk about word ownership and we can talk about who can say what and who can say whatever. But until then, I, I think but, it's... But wait, are you, saying, are you saying until we acknowledge it, then we can debate it? But why? why is... No, we have to overcome it. We, it's not even acknowledging sure. it. Like, like you it. Have, it. First, you have to acknowledge, then you have to educate, then you have to create systematic change that actually corrects the injustice that was associated with it. And then we can talk about, I want to say it or I don't want to say it. Because I think the thing that to debate whether or not I can say it, you can say it, someone else can say it... It's a distraction. It's a distraction. It's trivial, to be honest, because, and to get into a little bit of storytelling, in the fifth grade, and it was kind of a double whammy, someone referred to me to take the N-word and the F-word together. One of my classmates called me that. And 
At the time, I had a visceral reaction being one of the only few Black kids in the school that, okay, this is the time where I got to do something. And you just at recess or whatnot, my reaction was to push him. But I did it with a way of, I'm not just going to push you. I'm going to put my foot behind your leg and you're going to fall. So it's going to look and feel more dramatic. Again, you're talking to someone that's never been in a fight, never had to defend themselves or do anything like that. But that was my natural reaction. In, in doing that, he broke his arm. And, and he, he ran off to the teachers and Matt pushed me, blah, blah, blah. You know, I had to sit, spend the rest of my recess sitting, watching everyone play. Went to the office for a little bit. I shared what happened and I went back to class. Nothing happened. He came to school the next day with a cast. I went home that night and I basically, because again, my mom put the fear of God in me at a very Yeah, I wonder what did mom, how did yeah, mom yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I told my mom what happened, what I did. You're probably going to get a call from the school. And she completely understood my reaction. She completely understood me standing up for myself. And I didn't receive any type of any, any type of reprimand or anything like that at home. But the school never called her. The school almost wanted to bury it. They almost wanted to act like it didn't it didn't happen. Which and that's was, half the problem. That's half the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Which was the fascinating part of it is because my reaction to it, well, you could argue, should I have physically put my hands on him? Probably not. But they deemed it was appropriate by not even reprimanding me from the school and not even telling my my family what happened. I do think it comes back to the idea of acknowledgement or the, the lack of acknowledgement, right? And then everything that comes beyond that, the education, et cetera. To bring it back to model minorities a little though, okay, so here's a term in kind of this lens, here's a term that until we call it out for what it is and solve the problems that it is, isn't it trivial then? to who gets to say it or who gets to use it as a podcast title? I don't think it's trivial because I, I think the thing that's probably under it is model minorities implies a certain level of privilege. And by implying that privilege and- So one and again, is about pure derogatory and the other yeah, is about separation. Exactly. And labeling a group versus another group. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way. I mean, maybe we should have. But actually, I've never. <laughs> this is literally something I bring up to Sharon yeah, every few weeks, even though she's like, well, like, oh, I never thought of that. Huh. <laughs> and this is where I feel like there's a silver lining around every cloud. Like, I just, I approach the world in such a, sometimes it's like rose colored glasses way, but our intention is to elevate voices of people from all walks of life. And so that term to me is that everybody. We're changing the definition of it. Yeah, right? changing right. the definition. Everybody's a model minority. If you're a mainstream white male, you are a model minority because of the way that you see the world, or maybe there's something that you're very passionate about that only a small percentage of the population would also relate to. And I've just never connected it with privilege in that way. But you're Matt, you've completely opened my eyes to to how that could be. Yeah, right. and 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 again, I would love to have this conversation with someone that is from maybe a Southeast Asian descent that doesn't necessarily get that same association with, with model minority. I'd love to have this conversation with someone from Latinx community. Because again, my perspective is one of being Black in America, which there's a certain baggage that I'm, I'm bringing to the table that the country has dealt those like me. And I'm sure that others would either share your perspective, that it is something we can change the meaning of and broaden. Because I, I do think that there's an aspiration there that that's powerful. But I, I also think that there's a certain visceral reaction that you're, you're probably going to see the first time someone sees it versus getting the benefit. Oh, of oh we've gotten it from the first email we sent out to people <laughs> telling we had a podcast, man. It, that's, that's why it keeps coming back. But the other thing, and the evil marketer in me, this is where the evil marketing for good comes out. Literally having people bring it up. It's like they wouldn't have brought it up. Does that yeah. does that make sense? Like, yeah. oh, all yeah. of a sudden we're having a conversation. Because yeah. my fundamental thesis underneath this show, 
underneath this entire show is the problems in this world exist because we don't talk to each other or we talk to each other in too safe of a manner. And it's easier now more than ever to retreat into a bubble and only I'll plug. I want to plug something that's I don't as is a weird plug. There's this newsletter. So I'm, I'm pretty sure you can guess what my politics are. <laughs> like just <laughs> million dollar bet, <laughs> which side I, I, but there's a, I don't know how I discovered this newsletter about a year ago and it's called the writing R I G H T I N G. And it's put up by a progressive think tank group. And literally all it is, is a daily newsletter that scrapes all the top right wing news sources. And it scrapes the headline, the link, and the first paragraph of every article. And I can't read it every day because it makes my blood boil. But I I look at it every few days because I want to know, even though I'm not on Facebook, blah, 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 I want to know what half of America is consuming in their newsfeed. Because I don't condone it. I do not believe on, in a both sides-ism. <laughs> like, I don't think it's, I do not believe in the fallacy of fair and balanced. I think there's right and wrong in many situations. But if I can understand where people are coming from, then I can understand how to potentially frame a conversation before I even go, literally before I go engage in a conversation about all lives matter or some bullshit like that. Maybe I need to understand where they're coming from, because if I come at it guns blazing with my progressive rifle, so to speak, they're not even going to listen. And then there's that's half the problem. It's not worth having a conversation. Then we retreat back into our bubble. So anyway, long winded way of saying is I kind of want to provoke people, but I want to provoke them in a, I don't know. Sweet, buttery, sugary. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, I feel. I feel like we're we're going back. Sorry, go ahead, yeah, I feel like we're going back to our days of you need like a, a consumer research <laughs> study <laughs> to to unveil what are the the insights around what it's provoking. Again, I think everything behind your thesis for the show is is spot on, and I 100 percent agree that these are conversations that we not only need to have, but that other people need to be exposed to. So I think that's spot on. I, I think it's just a question of I gave you the benefit of the doubt because I know you. But someone that may come across this that doesn't know you, will they give you that benefit of the doubt? Yeah, that's fair. Right. That is a good point. Well, we're hoping that this show explodes and everyone in the world listens to it. <laughs> that, that's the other thing we got working for us, Matt. Exactly. Nobody's listening. Hi, Mom. <laughs> By the way, we literally were trying to figure out what the show email was going to be because we had this Gmail for a while. And you know, we didn't want it to be like hello at or Sharon and Roman at. And so, yeah, we decided to make it hi, mom. At <laughs> Very apropos. Very apropos. <laughs> okay. So well, I'm, going back to Matt, can we talk about Matt Remen? Go ahead. Well, yeah, that's Matt. Okay. So you have a podcast and I like the thesis of the podcast. It's similar. We're dancing around the same thing with a very different angle. Tell not just about the podcast, but how'd you get there? What, what was your thesis? Why did you do it? So I think for me, there was a moment in time in my career. I can't pinpoint the actual day or the actual experience, but there was a time where I realized that my voice, I was, I was individually suppressing it myself. And I was doing that because in order to make it through middle school, to make it through high school, a little bit in college, I felt like I assimilated. And I feel like I wasn't code switching because I was I was staying in one lane. I wasn't actually going back to a different lane, but I was doing that. And I carried into the corporate world because, again, the experiences I was having being in rooms where I was on the one that looked like me, I didn't want to stand out. And so I think for me, it was important to find my voice and to know that my voice needed to be heard. And in doing that, about a year ago, I sat down with a number of people in my circle and I, I just want to pick their pick their brain. I hate that term, but I wanted to hear their experience and, and see if it was 
similar to what I was experiencing from from my boys and, and what I when was. When you say people, just like people, marketers, what? I went to my personal network, which is people I've gone to school with, people I've worked with. So it was mostly minority, probably have a heavier slant towards African-American male, but talked to a lot of different people just to understand, did you experience this? And what are your views on the role that being a minority played in your upbringing and your ability to be a leader? Because that's truly what a leader is. A leader has a voice and they're able to communicate that voice in a way that gets people inspired and they follow you and they they know that they are 100% behind what you're what you're driving towards. And so for me, what was interesting is my thesis for, for the podcast is to be a minority, you have a superpower. And, and that superpower comes from being able to live in the mainstream world where you can adapt, assimilate, code switch, whichever other term you want to want to use. And then you also live in your own cultural world where you succeed, you have family, you have connections, you hopefully thrive. And that gives you the ability to be, you know, whether it's a chameleon, whether it's, a, it's to be fluid, that makes you just a better leader. And so what I wanted to do is tap into the stories of people across industries that have been able to do that and also shine a light on something that maybe people don't think about in their day in and day out basis. And maybe I didn't realize that that experience in fifth grade actually prepared me for something later in life. And I was just trying not to get in trouble or any other thing that happened throughout life. I think that it's it's something that hopefully inspires people that are going through something to realize that there's a reason you're going through it. And hopefully it opens up the minds of other people that maybe don't experience the hardships or, or obstacles. So that was that was why I started it. And I've been blown away by just the great stories I've been able to listen. Like even people I've known for 20 years, I'm learning about them in a new way. And so to your point about conversations, I think it's super important to have these conversations, but also to document them and, and to share them with others in you know, any way we can. That's great. Sounds like we both have, we well, both all three of us, I was going to say we both, but Roman, you're involved too have similar similar visions and and missions for getting the message out and sharing no it's free therapy for me man that's this is all a long con (laughs) we're just trying to be better people i think by talking and i think the the cool thing is as popular as podcasts are there's actually not that many hosts that look like us if you take the makeup of the three of us how many other podcasts that you listen to are represented by hosts or or networks that, that look like us it's very little like i looked at my feed and i was just like wow Yes, there's a few athletes. Yes, there's a few coaches or, or whatnot that I tap into, but most of it was white men. So isn't I thought it was media, isn't that all? Sorry, yeah, that's yeah. kind of all media or new media. Even I think about the YouTube Patreons, the YouTube folks that I literally donate money to. To your point, my podcast feed representationism, but I don't know what the barriers are. The systemic barriers in tech, I get less women t- going into STEM. How do the barriers play out in this field, though? Like in TV, I get it, you know, but this is a pretty democratized medium. Go buy a $50 mic. Well, you could pretty much do it all for free if you really wanted to. But so, dude, turn the table on you guys. When you guys came up with the idea, what did you do to figure out how to get it started? Well, one, I called Sharon when she was riding the bus and I was just like, you want to do it? And I totally conned her. You did. I didn't know what I was agreeing to. Here I am. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have this weird relationship with the medium. My wife and I used to listen to a lot of podcasts when we would do road trips before we had a kid. And then I stopped listening to podcasts for a while until I found myself sitting in the dark in 2016 depressed as all hell about the state of politics, but I'm sitting in the dark because my daughter wouldn't go to sleep literally with my phone, but I can't use my phone. It's like, well, I could listen to something. And I'd been reading a lot of press about Pod Save America specifically. And I knew what it was, the ex-Obama speechwriter. So I, and I was missing Barry. So I, I'm a guy who's read dreams from my father like four times, right? 
volunteered on his campaign in Ohio, stuff like that. So I, I listened to the interview and then I liked the intimacy of the medium, right? People felt feels like you're in the room. And our, our friend, mutual friend Rajiv, when we were at PG, he actually used to have a podcast that in where he just interviewed other comedians, other entertainers. And this is before iPhones were there, right? You had to literally download to your iPod. But what I loved about his podcast was it was like just being in a room with my friend talking to, like, I didn't have to do the effort of being part of the conversation, but it kind of like I was. And then the other podcasts I started to pick up, the ones Kat and I used to listen to in the car were This American Life, Radio Lab, the storytelling ones. And I love good stories, but the conversations with really smart people about meaty, controversial things, be it comic books or politics or tech like pivot is and i started to understand when people don't agree it's better when there's friction it's better when it's voices that physically sound different a boy and a girl an accent and an eye it actually sounds better because we as listeners put ourselves in the shoes of one of the people talking subconsciously and replicating that i mean one of my favorite things to do at our old company matt was Sure, we had a lot of work to do, but I wanted to go take you out to coffee and pick your brain on the work thing and then five other things that I was thinking about, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's where I come from with it. What about what about you guys? Yeah, I think, well, I was on that bus and I was like, okay, <laughs> sounds fun. But I think what fascinated me about it was the fact that it's, it is a relatively new media medium and I love ways to be able to tell stories and be able to connect with people over different types of platforms. Like that's what I do professionally. So I think when Remen came to me, it was a little bit of, this is really cool. Cause I've, you know, never tried to produce a podcast. So it was completely new, but also really cool because it's much more intimate than running a Facebook ad or trying to figure out Google's algorithm. It's you're in someone's ear and you're literally talking to them or at least talking to someone else, but with them. And What's interesting is I was listening to very different types of podcasts than Raman was. So I subscribed to a podcast called Marketing School, which is- well, A bunch of work stuff. All of mine were, were totally like work-related. So it was best practices in digital marketing or interviewing an expert on how to raise your kids right, you know? And it was very, it was almost like podcasts that mirrored other types of media, but just in audio form. And Rama was like, no, go listen to Pivot. Go listen to Pod, Pod Save America. And of course, I don't have time for anything. So I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then one day I actually flipped that on. And I was like, I get it. These people are, they become your friends. Like you start to really get to know them. And you start to, you start to almost anticipate the types of jokes they're going to make to each other. You start to you feel want to tune in to learn about what really did happen on the date that they had last Thursday or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, that changes this completely because then this isn't really about preaching about some you know point of view that we have or educating oh but you totally get away with the preaching through the like friendship yeah, totally. yeah we'd be like, well, what you're saying is stupid but it's cool because you're matt and <laughs> so 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 one you, you? you guys have officially arrived because you're not a true podcaster until you do a podcast about podcasting oh god we're so meta we, now we, we, so, yeah. burn <laughs> it all down we're in it so if someone is still listening at this point kudos to them <laughs> So, so I, I think for me, tell me about being black in podcasting. Exactly. Matt. <laughs> exactly. I think that for me, it was a choice of because I, I knew that I, ha- I wanted to create a platform, and the things I looked at were: is it podcast? Is it do I write a book? Do I do a YouTube? And for me, it's it's everything you guys are saying about the intimacy of the format 
in the ability to connect with people in a new way. So that that's why I made the choice of the forum. In terms of the ability and the, and the content, and kind of to your original question about why aren't more diverse voices in podcasting, I think it comes down to just a learning barrier and having access to know, yes, you could do it literally for free or spend a, you know, a couple hundred bucks and be up and running and, and be up on you know, Apple iTunes. And I think that that barrier is just something that people aren't familiar with. And it's something that, that spans a lot of my conversations with people. Literally, I, I launched my podcast and my, one of my cousins reached out to me. She's like, you know, I've been thinking about doing this, but I just don't know where to start. And your cynical side is like, there's Google, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you right. it. but then you, you realize that most people like assume that things that are on the, whether it's your ears, it's in your eyes, you're seeing it, it's on tactile. You just assume that that technology is so beyond what you could do. If it's not your foray or it's not what you were, were taught in that you just tend to not even go into it. And so, so I think that that's probably one of the barriers. And then also it's hard to do things that you don't see someone like you doing. And, and that spans beyond podcasts, that spans right, beyond right. our work. If, if I don't see someone doing the exact same thing I want to do that looks like me, it's hard for me to think I can be the first one. Right. I, but I actually go the other way, Matt. I'm like, if I already saw, there's actually a bunch of Indian people doing In fact, there was one of the marketing podcasts Sharon turned me on to was some Indian guy with some Chinese guy. And I'm like, ah, uh, but they're talking about gross work stuff. But like, if I see people <laughs> already doing something, I actually shy away from it. It's like, well, it's already being done. And that to, that was actually the moment. I was like, my big frustration with the world is literally why aren't people talking more? You also have some irrational confidence. We may need to sit you on the couch and <laughs> and, and go back in time and figure out where that yeah, came yeah. from. But I, I think you're you're naturally a curious person. You're naturally someone to ask the question of, well, why is that? That I don't know that that translates to every single person as they're thinking about where they spend their time and energy. So who's? I mean, you've talked to a bunch. You've talked really about think. 10, maybe, no, maybe eight guests now. What are some of the themes you're, or the commonalities you're seeing and the types of conversations that you're having? Because you're, you're mostly interviewing black guests. Is that correct? To date, it's been predominantly black guests. I would say a couple of things that have been commonalities in the discussions. One is there is this, going back to the representation point, there is this idea that most people are picking fields based on either seeing someone that's done it or someone seeding an idea in their mind that they could do it. So whether it's a doctor, whether it's finance, whether it's business, it's creative fields, someone sharing that, you know, hey, you'd be good at that has like propelled people into their their fields of, of choice, which I find really fascinating that most people start with their home base of, yeah, my my mom did this or my uncle did this or my neighbor did this. So I think that that's been, been one key. I think the other key that, and, and again, this comes forward more in the conversations with some of the Black leaders that I've talked to, is that this concept of Black excellence. And what I mean by that is, so I, so I attended Washington University in St. Louis. And for anybody that is aware of it, it pretty, pretty... My, my dad went there. I think I've told oh, you that. really? Nice. I didn't know that. My dad didn't go to Harvard because... He got more money at WashU. That's the story. Right. Nice. <laughs> the funny thing is that happens to so many people. <laughs> you know, it's always billed as, you know, kind of the Harvard of the Midwest. I hate those comparisons, but it is it is a pretty well thought of institution. Definitely still a predominantly white institution. But I think the thing that I learned at, at, at WashU was I was exposed to so many other smart, intelligent black people that it like created this concept of we can do anything. And I think that concept of black excellence and being able to thrive and, and to strive for it is something that's been consistent throughout. So being exposed to others that look like you that are striving and reaching their goals 
is almost like an accelerant for you finding and, and striving for your goals. So that, that's been probably the the two things that have been consistent, no matter who the guest has been or, or you know their their own personal experience and stories. To nerd out a little bit in real life, for sure, you go to Washu, you surround yourself with these people. But what about in fiction? Just to nerd out, like you know, Wakanda, Afrofuturism, and I could have talked about Wakanda years before Black Panther came out, right? Like, but what's the role of of that specifically Afrofuturism? I guess, but it, to me, it's just in all fiction, right? All works of fiction. Well, the fact that I can't think of a second example kind of kind of speaks to the the lack of it and the lack of seeing yourself in in the future. Like, I mean, pick any sci fi movie. There's usually one black person. Yeah, they usually die. They usually and, and die. They usually die, you know, and and or they're sacrificed in some way for this common good for people to go on and survive. So the simple fact that that representation doesn't carry forward when I know all of us have children, and for those of us with multicultural children, the future is going to look way different than what's being portrayed in movies, books, TV shows. There's going to be the majority will become the minority, and and vice versa. And so I think that, you know, there's kind of a a BS detector that goes off anytime you get into any of those sectors of like this futuristic what's possible. Obviously, Black Panther was an amazing story, to your point, that was already told. But the fact that Disney and, and, and Marvel leaned into that to really put it in front of everyone is amazing. Like, like it, it's so my friends that have younger kids that are call it four or five to be able to take them and, and have them experience that is that you can't even put words into what that means and, and how that inspires them. Oh, even before, I think it would have been before Black Panther when when Force Awakens came out, right? Never mind the first trailer with Black Stormtrooper, but with literally, I remember seeing the, on top of New York taxi cabs, the picture of Finn holding a lightsaber, like just drive, before the movie came out. And my wife was pregnant and I remember when the movie ended, we knew we were having a girl. She's like, we're not calling our daughter Ray. And I was like, what she told me? It's like, why not? What? You didn't know I was thinking that. Yeah, I think these things, specifically to kids, I think makes makes a huge difference. The only Indian character we had was Dalsam in Street Fighter when I was a kid, and that was terrible. I mean, to completely switch it, but like even like what Target did, I think it was what, last Halloween, where they were showing Halloween costumes for all kids and, you know, all body types and those that maybe aren't fully abled and, and, and those type of things, that, that goes such a long way to show you that you're not othered and you're not this group that isn't thought about, this group that isn't a part of the, the main community, the main conversations. It's great. And you have kids yourself, right, Matt? I do. I'm a girl dad. You're a girl dad. One girl or two girls? Two girls. We have a 12-year-old that's going on 20 and a, a one-year-old that feels like she's going on five. <laughs> So, so yeah, we, I, I always, and my wife will probably hate that I say this, but I always joke that every day in our house, someone cries and sometimes it's <laughs> oh me. Oh my God. Come on, Matt. Come on, Matt. <laughs> no, he said sometimes it's him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's you. <laughs> That's funny. Tell us about your wife. Where did you guys meet? Yeah. So her heritage and her background. Yeah. So my wife is when they talk about your better half, like that doesn't even, that's not even, that doesn't even do it justice. So she, she's amazing mother, partner, and also business owner. So my, my wife is of Mexican descent. Her parents actually immigrated to the, to the U S and she runs her own intimate care wellness company, Lumi. 
And it's just been phenomenal to see what she's been able to do because she's she's someone that trusted in herself, trusted in her own thinking to take a step away from corporate America and realize her talents weren't being validated. They weren't being appreciated and she could make a much bigger impact doing her own thing. So I'm just in awe of what she's been able to do and how she's been able to, in just a little bit over two years, she's been able to go from just, we were sitting at a bar with an idea and, you know, Ramen, you'll appreciate it. I, I, you know, I pull out my pad and like, oh, what are you thinking about from the consumer standpoint? What are you thinking about <laughs> from your brand character? Like, you know, I, I started nerding out on the branding and marketing stuff and she's gone from the back of a piece of paper to like a business that is killing it. And she's also in a category that is so underserved because intimate care, also known as sexual wellness. I joke with her that If you were to ask anyone, do they want a better sex life? Everyone would say yes. However, if you ask them, where do you go to actually have a better sex life? And everybody's like, "Uh, well, uh, I'm I'm not sure. And so she's solving that. And so it's really fascinating to see how she's bringing kind of this progressive mindset to a passion point for her. We should, Suzanne Sinatra, previous guest of ours, friend of Sharon's, operates in the space. Well, that's a a connection worth making after this. But I want to ask, interracial marriage there's all the obvious stuff like parents and stuff, which I'm sure that's a whole nother podcast on those conversations. But my daughter at four is starting to ask questions, right? She's starting to be like, am I Indian? Am I Chinese? And these are fine. We're, we're totally honest conversations. One of your kids is a little further along. How did those conversations come up with your kid? Yeah, I would say that it is, it's almost, again, back to the whole superpower thing. We have a very confident 12-year-old because of her heritage and because of her ethnicity. And again, I attribute most of that to my wife in that she knows that although she is half Mexican, half African-American, the world views her as a, as a little black girl. And so she has her black girl power t-shirt, you know, as she was younger, t-shirts. And she truly leans into those two cultures coming together to make her like the most amazing little preteen that, that that's out there. So I think the thing we really try to focus on is allowing her to ask questions, but not necessarily giving her the answer and allowing her to be the one that finds her own identity because her experience is different than mine. Her experience is different than my wife's and it will continue to be as, as this world changes around us. And so we, de- we definitely can't give her the, the, you know, the tools that are always going to work because she's going to have different experiences. And then I, I think that especially as a as a young female, I think it's just very important for her to know that it's kind of limitless in what she can and can accomplish and what she can do. That made me smile when you talked about her t-shirt. You're doing Yeah, and I I, really I probably job. like there's there's my one of the ones that she wears all the time is I'm not bossy, I have leadership skills. Nice. Which <laughs> really summarizes my household. <laughs> we have a lot of leaders. I want that. Oh man. Robin, buy me that t-shirt. <laughs> cool. We've covered a lot of ground, and I think it's probably time for speed round. Are you ready for speed round, Matt? I think so. I think cool. so. What's one thing about you that no one expects? One thing about me that no one expects. So this is one that I don't think many people know. I have type 1 diabetes, and I didn't learn that until I was in my mid-20s. So it's something that visually, I don't think anybody would ever guess or assume. I I try to stay in relatively good shape, but it's definitely a part of my life that definitely I've had had to take care of and and be on top of as I, as I continue to age. Wow. And it didn't, you didn't notice it till you were in your twenties? 
Yeah, I didn't notice until later onset. They sometimes refer to it as type one and a half because it's it's not type two, but it's also it's something that's kind of laying in in the weeds as you're growing older and you don't find out until your your adulthood. What's a book or a movie that has characters that you relate to? So if I were to, in an ideal world, I'd say something like Boomerang with Marcus Graham, because <laughs> he was like a marketing executive. And he was like this guy that had this awakening that his lifestyle wasn't living up to it. But no, I, I think a more a more recent example, for those that don't recall those those old black movies, would be Blackish, which the character Dre, who's a you know advertising agency guy, you know, I had my advertising agency experience. He has the family and somewhat multicultural with his wife's background. And he struggles with the whole, I'm sending my kids to these private schools. Are they going to keep that authentic culture realness as I'm sending to these environments that I didn't grow up in? I would say that's one, and then to go to a, another story. But what's interesting is the creator of that show, Kenya, actually I met back when I lived in LA because a friend and I, we actually drafted a sitcom. And we were connected with him through mutual friends because we're not real writers. And they said, you need to connect with somebody that's in the industry so that they can actually take your story to the next level. And so we had a meeting with him. We shared our, our story idea. And he told us, he was like, I think there's a lot here, but just so you know, I would need to make it personal, make it my own story. And we were like, ah, I don't know if we want to give up that creative freedom. And so we ended up passing on the opportunity to work with him. And then obviously later he comes out with Blackish and many other successful shows afterwards. So there's like an alternative universe somewhere where I'm a famous TV writer and doing amazing things in, in television. But that was not meant to be. You've still got time, Matt. <laughs> still, do. still do. What is your favorite mom's mom dish? Oh, so actually, I don't have one. And the reason I don't have one is... If you uh, say everything my mom cooks is amazing, I'm going to punch no, you, man. <laughs> no, that is, not, that is not the case. So my version of the story is growing up, we were so busy going to school, sports, and again, growing up single single mom household. I never really remember eating at home. It was always on the go. My mom's version of the story is we were too picky of eaters, me and my younger sister. So she stopped cooking because we wouldn't eat the food. So I'll let you figure out where the truth lies between those two versions. All right, all right fine. Then as a dad of two girls, what's your best dad dish? What do they love? My breakfast. So I, I make a potatoes, chicken, apple, sausage, a scrambled egg dish, and they, they, they love that. My wife and I figured out how to make biscuits and gravy, like drop biscuits, a few years ago. And we introduced it to our daughter, and she is an addict now. She wants it. Like She would eat it for every meal if she could. <laughs> nice. <laughs> What's your least favorite food, Matt? So this is one where my California neighbors will get mad. Avocados. I can't I can't stand them. The consistency, the color, taste, everything. You don't like to support the cartels. The avocado <laughs> cartels. <laughs> and you live in California, right? Exactly. It's on everything. I can't oh, I, you know, I'm man. I'm the one that's like, hey, can I get that with no avocados? And everyone looks at you. Everybody just stops yeah. the record. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who is someone that you would want to interview on a podcast? So if I had a podcast, I would love to interview (laughs) Ron James. And and the reason is I cannot fathom anyone having the expectations that he's had on his life and exceeding them. And so I would just love to sit down with him and understand at the different stages what he thought and how he got to where he is today, because it's a phenomenal story. There's so many things that could have tripped him up and he has exceeded at each individual level. Well, if you followed me on Twitter, I would ask him for you. But <laughs> <laughs> so last question, Matt, and I'm genuinely curious how you're going to answer this one. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. What does being a model minority mean to you? So using our expanded definition that we've come up <laughs> with in this discussion, I would say it means being authentic to yourself. 
and being authentic to your background, your upbringing, and not feeling that you need to leave anything at home or leave anything behind a door. So I, I would say being your authentic self and knowing that not only is it good enough, but it actually is going to be the best you. I, I approve. answer. Oh, I feel like we've converted you. But yeah. <laughs> no, I think he's converted us. <laughs> Matt, this has been a lot of fun. It feels like we were having coffee in Cincinnati all over again. No, thank you guys. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Appreciate it. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's a preview of our next episode. My identity as an Iranian-American didn't really come out until college. Before that, I really identified much more as American. Even though I was proud to be Iranian, I definitely did not have the chance to explore that as much because I just didn't have that around me. You know, I didn't have people of my age group to hang out with that ate the food and spoke the language and listened to the music, right? So that didn't really come out for me until I had that community. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.